Hello and welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Blight, and fellow video essayist Tom Vanderlinden from the channel Like Stories of Old. This week we're going to be discussing Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. This is directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Before we jump into that, I want to mention that this is a Nebula original podcast, which means if you listen on Nebula, you get access to the episodes a week early and without any sponsorships or advertisements. You also get access to our bonus episodes when you listen on Nebula. If you're interested in doing that, you can go to nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning and sign up there or click the link in the description below. We're doing this episode while it's in theaters, so this might be a little bit more of a review episode. We haven't had the chance mm-hmm. to see it multiple times. At least I only saw it once. I'm assuming you also only went to see it once. Yeah, I, I saw it yesterday evening uh, the first time. Yeah. And the only time, yeah. So I guess maybe we can give some first impressions. I'm I'm just curious, like, right, you know, how how did you feel about this? Have mm-hmm. you have you watched past Dungeons and Dragons stuff? No, I have near zero familiarity with Dungeons and Dragons as a concept. I've known people who played the RPG experience or the board game, I guess. Right. I haven't played it myself. Uh, I haven't watched any content or videos or movies or whatever they made in that universe related to it. Um, So I just kind of went in completely blind. I didn't even see, I think I saw half of the first trailer and I thought like, oh, Chris Pine, comedic fantasy world, whatever, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah. Another like franchise milking movie machine it reminded me a little bit of that warcraft movie that came out a few years ago which i wasn't all too invested in and didn't really care for that much so yeah i wasn't expecting too much of this aside from maybe a afternoon with a b movie i guess but i was just to say it right off the bat i was pleasantly surprised what this offered and what it ended up being. It's not perfect. I have a few issues here and there, um, but it did give me some, I think some interesting insights into certain genre elements, especially related to adventure and maybe especially also adventure in relation to comedy that might be worth getting into. And there's some interesting stuff in the way they use character archetypes Um, which I think is also very much an element of the game, or at least in, you know, I've played many video game RPGs, which in many ways uh, apparently take that or took their inspiration from what Dungeons and Dragons established, where you kind of assume this character, uh, you kind of role play as this character that has specific skills. And that's obviously something that that you also see very much in this movie, where each character... Uh, has their own little thing that they're good at and that they can contribute to the group, uh, which always creates a nice dynamic, even though it does lead to some tropes that I'm personally not a big fan of, like where you have the, for example, the now here's the mission and now we're going to gather all the eccentric members of the group that help us accomplish this. Like there's a lot of movies that pull that off so poorly that I've just gotten so tired of it that... You know, Wonder Woman, I think, tried it, but uh, yeah. This is a movie, though, where you kind of absolutely have to have it because it's mm-hmm. sort of like an essential element of how 
Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. or to put my cards on the table, I have not played Dungeons and Dragons, the tabletop RPG game, but I have played other similar group tabletop RPGs. So I have experience with kind of what it feels like generally to like participate in an RPG. And I'm familiar with some of the, not the rules set and all the mechanics, but I'm familiar somewhat with the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And there's a very specific feeling. Like I really love playing an RPG because it's such a weird experience. You're like in this story that's all kind of, that's developing and unfolding together as a group that you're kind of all improvising and all trying to Mm -hmm. think on your feet to come up with. And that can be very fun. And usually it's, it's balanced. It balances this element of like often, I mean, it depends on who you're playing with and how seriously people are taking things. But generally, you know, you're trying to kind of get as invested as you can and engage in this kind of heartfelt story or action but then there's elements of it that just make it inherently a little bit like goofy and silly. And so the way those things come together is kind of fun. One more thing that I was really happy about with this movie is that it it does feel like we're it's kind of a weird point maybe, but it does feel like we're getting some superhero fatigue finally, not just in the cultural mindset, but also we're now seeing it reflected in the box office where it feels like more people are moving away from yet another superhero story and towards more new and original things, even though, you know, technically this would still be a franchise adaptation. But I, I did like that about this movie, that it, it's finally something, at least for me, something fresh and, and a genre that it feels, of which it feels like it hasn't really existed since the 90s or so or maybe the early 2000s where you have this interesting combination between fantasy and comedy i was reminded of some movies like a night's tale your highness to a lesser extent that one is more slightly more farcical um but in the 90s you also had this movie called Dragonheart. i'm not sure if you've ever seen that one no i used to love that one as a child but it's probably not that good anymore if I were to watch it now, but anyways, you know, the point is that it feels like a kind of genre that's kind of lost a little bit or kind of forgotten about. And it seems to be, have been revived with quite successfully in, in, with this Dungeons and Dragons story, where it just feels like you have a fully fleshed out world, or at least as much as is necessary for this kind of story. It's actually kind of more of like a heist story, technically, which is also why the, again, why the, those archetypes work so well, because the, the, the heist movie generally has, you know, the Ocean's Eleven thing where they have to assemble the, the, the team, team and yeah. each one contributes their own little skill set. But anyways, you have this interesting fantasy world, a nice story that balances comedy, action and uh, drama. And that just feels like, I, I feel like if this came out in like 1995, it would be the kind of movie that would play on TV like every month or so. And every time it would be just an interesting or just a fun night sitting on the couch, making some popcorn and then watching a movie like this. It's lighthearted or lightweight almost. It's easily digestible, but still fun enough that it offers a meaningful experience that's very enjoyable, I guess. 
This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Nebula. You already hear us mention Nebula every week because the podcast is available there a week early and you can get access to our bonus episodes when you listen on Nebula. But what we don't talk about every week is the fact that Nebula is an entire streaming service with a bunch of content that you can't get anywhere else. When you sign up using our link, not only does it support this podcast and help Tom and I keep creating the podcast, but it also gets you 40% off the annual plan, so you can get access to Nebula for as little as $2.50 a month. Tom and I have both have exclusive content on Nebula. I want to mention specifically Tom's class about how to analyze stories and enrich your own. It does a deep dive into analyzing and breaking down story to find the deeper meaning, the kind of stuff that we talk about all the time on this podcast. And Tom walks you through how he does that for his own channel. I have exclusive content as well, like an entire video about screen presence that is only available on Nebula. But it's not just Tom and I. There's tons of other great content available only on Nebula, like Patrick H. Willem's feature film Night of the Coconut. If you've been enjoying this podcast and want access to every episode, like our bonus episodes on Babylon, Fight Club, Avatar The Way of Water, and many more, Sign up now at nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning or click the links in the show notes. Back to the episode. I do not regret going to the theater and watching this. I think I had a fun time. Mm -hmm. it, it captured a lot of fun elements about Dungeons and Dragons uh, or like I was saying earlier about role playing games that that I think I find really fun. It mm -hmm. actually managed to capture that. I was kind of I don't know. I was getting pretty engaged in the beginning, but then it it wore on me as it went on. I think because it, it really felt to me like a, like I see what you're saying about it feels new as a genre mm -hmm. in that it's a it's approaching something different from the MCU. It's a different flavor of like lore and IP and, but in form, I guess. And this is where like, I have so much fatigue, not just, not for, for the superhero movies, not necessarily for the superheroes themselves, I'd happily watch a movie with superheroes in it, but mm -hmm. it's more so like the format of the MCU, the kind of like way in which those movies are shot, yeah. the studio form. So I think this was this movie was interesting for me in that it presented like something that felt like it was really well made in almost the MCU style that is not an MCU film. I think what that allowed me to see was, oh, there's a lot of elements of just this this like genre of I don't know what you would call it like IP franchise mm -hmm. studio action comedy that I don't know I, I, I find it kind of it's still you can take the superhero out of Marvel but can't take the Marvel <laughs> right. out of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> yes. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know there was a lot there was a lot here that I think was fun and there's there's plenty I think that we can talk about but yep. let me clarify it this way mm -hmm. if I had just watched this based on the trailer I think I would have gotten pretty much exactly what I expected. And I would have been like, hey, this is, you know, this is like a perfect three star popcorn, you know, IP movie. But I think like I just happened to see like it had a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes or something before I was going into that. Mm -hmm. And to me, this movie being like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes feels absurd to me. But it, a 90%, that's, that only means that 90% of the people had a above uh, F or right right so that means if everyone gave it like a six out of ten then it would yes. it would be a hundred percent certified as fresh but i never liked the rotten tomatoes for that but yeah 
<laughs> yeah, that's the problem with Rotten Tomatoes, I guess. Maybe this is the perfect 90% Rotten Tomatoes yeah. movie. It's like... It's perfectly passable. In... Everybody is yeah. going to be like... Like, if I had to choose thumbs up or thumbs down, I'll I'll choose a thumbs up. Mm. And it's like, most people, it might be like, it's barely... Or it's, it's just slightly slipping through that. Yeah. Because uh, even I would do that. I'd say, like, if I had to choose between total thumbs down and total thumbs up, I'd choose a thumbs up. There's enough mm. here to keep it going, but yeah. I was just like, there's so much you can do with CG and with like this, with like a format like this. And so it's like when, when they got to that shot where it's like all of them are crowded together and the camera's like doing the like Avengers style, like swoop around them. Mm-hmm. kind. Of, I'm just like, oh, come on, just come up with something new. Anyway, I'll get this out of my system and then we can yeah, just yeah. talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're saying, and I agree to a point. Um, you can definitely feel the Marvel vibes in this movie, and to some extent, I that's also what I'm I'm getting tired of, especially at the end when they did that Hulk smash, where the villain is right, defeated, yeah. but then they have to knock them knock them down again around like a, a few times just to make sure they're down or something like that. That right. to me was like, ugh, it's just so exhausting and and the thing with comedy movies in general and especially these marvel type comedy films that have like a lot of quips a lot of lightheartedness is that they're very easy to hook you with within the first 10 minutes or so but then very it's very difficult at least for me to stay engaged over a long time like at the beginning of this movie i felt quite invested like i thought it was a fun opening sequence but then i was thinking of the latest Thor movie, uh, Love and Thunder, where I also had that, where I'm like, I was like 10 minutes into that movie and I thought to myself, oh, I'm kind of into it. But then a half hour passed and then I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm no longer into this. And I was worried that was going to happen here. And there were moments where my attention definitely waned and where I felt myself losing interest in what was going on. But there were other elements specifically in its essence, this is very much a Marvel-ish movie in the way that it's constructed, the way that it handles characters and their interactions, and the way that it does humor, and the way that it uses CGI. But there's a few points where, for me, it diverted enough for to kind of soften that and to kind of sweeten the, the whole situation yeah. to make it less... Yeah make me less cynical about the whole thing. One of that is the... They clearly shot a lot on locations. There's a lot of CGI also, a lot of it quite bad, but at least there were some, especially early on, where there were the the sweeping Lord of the Rings-type vistas of them traveling against these huge, beautiful backgrounds, which kind of retroactively made me want to go see Lord of the Rings again <laughs> just because it, it reminded me just how good that adventure was constructed yeah. uh, and it made me think of one thing that the Lord of the Rings did really well which this movie did a little bit less is where they in the Lord of the Rings they established so well that sense of distance in between spaces like whenever characters travel somewhere you you feel the weight of that it takes some time and then yeah. uh, you can see them travel for days and then uh, the landscape ch- changes, but changes slowly. And the only reason I thought of that is because in Dungeons and Dragons, they go from this 
ever winter-ish landscape to a never winter-ish landscape in like a few minutes and they travel back into a forest again and then they're in a swamp and then they're they seem to kind of jump or skip around the map yeah. a little bit too much where you don't really feel like you're really on an adventure in the sense that you're you have this home ground that you begin in and then you leave it and then you slowly venture into increasingly unknown or unfamiliar lands like that kind of adventure is not really here in Dungeons and Dragons I think right but then again it's also clear that this doesn't want to be that like I could go on for like the rest of this podcast just to complain about how this how Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons feels at being the Lord of the Rings and right the way we're not getting the Lord of the Rings type sincerity anymore yes, ever since yes. Marvel but I just don't want to do that because it's also yeah. it, it's so obvious that this is not a movie that tries to be that like, again for me this is more it feels more like that kind of class beneath Lord of the Rings that uh, that you'll catch the occasional rerun of whenever it happens to be on television instead of the the Lord of the Rings class, which is the one that you actively sit down for once a year and make an event yeah. out of rewatching it. I think you said it great at the beginning where you said like, this is a great, you kind of expected a B movie and this is like a really great B movie. I think it's just mm -hmm. like, it's interesting that the, like those used to be like low budget, like, you know, indie films, the B movies that you, that kind of then like rose to notoriety. But now that's, this is like, elevated to cultural touchstone which is fine if that's what a lot of people want to watch you know it's great anyway mm -hmm. we uh, yeah yeah i i don't want to spend the whole podcast complaining about this because there's interesting good things to talk about uh too as well and i'm i'm really interested to hear your thoughts about the characters and the different archetypes and yeah yeah that was one other thing i was gonna say aside from the shooting on location stuff that for me diverted it enough away right. from the typical Marvel-ish, especially like a movie like Quantum Mania that's just all visual blur and just right. completely without any form of texture or sense of realness. Uh, the other thing that I'd liked is that the main character, at least, the Chris Pine uh, Atkin, is not a man of physical violence. I like that he's the bard or the planner and that yeah. therefore also the the final big confrontation is not so much about, actually it is about violence, but uh, because they end up uh, having to fight a wizard, but it feels less like, oh, we have this hyper-masculine hero at the front of it that's going to punch his way through the story. And that to me led to some interesting plot elements like with the portal right. gun or the other, like the trickeries and magics and the, the, the stuff that... Uh, the druid could do like changing into animals and how that yeah the point is there was more cleverness with regards to the way plot elements progressed and conflicts were resolved that weren't just okay we now have two superheroes either punching each other really hard or beaming really hard at each other with some kind of magical force or spell and that's right what i generally liked about the movie until like maybe the, the very very yeah. end but even that was relatively restrained compared to the sometimes prolonged battle scenes that we get in a superhero third right. act yeah yeah that's actually i think in in some extent the brilliance of the movie or or its best part is as an adaptation of dungeons and dragons exactly what you're talking about comes from sort of the mechanics of the game where you know if you're playing an rpg game you have all these different skill sets 
And often you can't just brute force your way through something with violence. You have to come up with a weird solution to something or take a, a bizarre sort of risk or like, or you think you have the perfect solution. You know, you're really good at this one thing. You go in and you just happen to roll really poorly and it doesn't work. And so then you have to come up with another thing. And they did a, such a fantastic job in this of like nodding to that and kind of baking that stuff into the way the narrative unfolds and progresses without being too much like now we're we're going to make a dungeons and dragons reference now we're you know there was no there was no mm -hmm. meta joke about like rolling dice or like something like this but they still managed to capture like you can see it really especially in with like that first scene where or that first kind of battle where they get hauled out and they're about to be executed oh yeah she grabs the brick out of the mm -hmm. ground and then like uses it like that's exactly the kind of thing the situation you get into in a role playing game where you're like okay, I'm about to be executed. I need to get out of this somehow. And so you come up with this absurd thing, like I'm going to grab this brick out of here and then, you know, use this ability to, you know, stop the blade or something. And then you manage to just like roll flawless execution on that. And so your character just pulls off this absurd plan like flawlessly. Mm. Yeah. And that's a lot of fun when it happens in the game. And... So it felt like they were applying that kind of mentality to how they were writing the story. And it actually makes for like a f kind of a fun progression to the narrative that sort of feels fresher than some of the story tropes we, you know, that, that sometimes these stories can get ingrained in where it's like, oh, okay, we spent the whole movie developing this one plot line. And so that kind of has to go well, because if it doesn't, then... You know, I don't know. It, like, I just felt like they did that really nicely and and had a lot of fun with it. So I, yeah, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. I also really liked the way they did the castle escape with the druid character Doric, where she it's it's this fake one shot, but where they she keeps transitioning into different animals, and you kind of follow her along during the whole ordeal that and the uh i think every scene with the portal gun was very entertaining to me which <laughs> just made me wish like a lot more movies <laughs> introduced portal guns in some way it actually briefly made me want i was like oh of all the ip that we're reviving for uh <laughs> for films can can we get like a portal the game movie yeah. it would probably be terrible but probably uh, yeah but, but it would be a lot of fun to watch <laughs> I'd love to see a sort of hyper-realistic primer-ish movie, but with Portal. Yes, but... with Portal. That would be great. But yeah, that aside. Yeah, I was not expecting this movie to have the best depiction of the Portal gun mechanic from, from the Portal game that I've ever seen. I did like the way they managed to add... Like, the, the thing with the where they used the portals to rob, or not rob, but... Uh, to get to into the get into yeah, the, the wagon i thought that was really cleverly done in a way that uh, where it, it felt like i was actually sort of behind the writers in the sense that oh wait that's i, I wouldn't have thought of that or to do it to yeah, do it yeah. like that and that that's something i really enjoy when it really feels like you're being outmaneuvered as an as a viewer in a fun right. you know in a fun way not in a kind of cynical way but that's where 
I really wonder if they kind of gamed out certain scenarios for this in the writing process, because there's a couple writers names on this. But some of these scenes have such a uh, quality of like of the role playing process where mm -hmm. I do wonder if they were like, OK, we have this scenario we need to get in here. You know, these are what the characters are. These are their abilities. How do we pull that off? And then they just approached it in the same way you would if you were playing the mm -hmm. game yourself, because that's the kind of thing you come up with in those scenarios yeah. <laughs> is like, oh, we have this portal thing. We ha we got to get into this wagon. How do we do it? Here's mm -hmm. this ridiculous plan. Yeah, that. And I like the way they added that little complication at the end where it seems like, are oh, they going to do the, the trick? They get into the falls really easily, but right. then the, <laughs> the portal tips over and they're just staring at the, at the, at the ground, which is uh, yeah. was also really fun. And yeah. also in the way that the Druid character, um, Doric, managed to figure out a way around it by chipping out this little piece of stone just enough for her to crawl through it as a worm but yeah maybe let's talk a little bit more about the characters specifically like yes. uh, get an overview of the crew uh we obviously have the main i think the main two characters would be etkin and holga played by chris pine who plays the bard character the the guy who makes all the plans and holga played by michelle rodriguez who plays the barbarian type character essentially and as the movie is setting up, they're kind of escaping from prison. There's a bit of like a prologue kind of explaining some of their backstory, how they got there. Uh, they kind of, they're escaping from prison. And the long and short of it is they, they have to kind of go find and rescue his, his daughter who is sort of being, I guess, captive, kidnapped by, yeah. by the villain of the film. Which is Hugh Grant. Which is Hugh Grant, yeah. yeah. Forge is this character's name. So they kind of reconnect or they kind of form this little team, the party, uh, in order to do that. There's a lot of steps in mm -hmm. getting there, but uh, eventually we get to where you have this, uh, the main party, which includes Doric, who is the druid. And then mm -hmm. we also have Simon, played by Justice Smith, who is the wizard. Yeah. So, yeah, so we have Simon, the, the wizard, and uh, they kind of form this, like, mm -hmm. this scrappy, scrappy group. Band of outsiders. Yes. Yeah, I, I liked, I think Chris Pine is really great in roles like these. He, he can pull off that great range between heartfelt moments and then the comedy without becoming too Ryan Reynolds-y. Yes, I was just going to say that. I was like, <laughs> he's almost like a better... Ryan Reynolds in this scenario. Yeah, there were there were some moments where it felt like he stepped into Ryan Reynolds' territory, yeah. which I cared less for. But overall, I think he's good in this. He he carries it with, he carries it as uh, much as he can. Yeah, but he feels more sincere, I think, than than the way Ryan Reynolds plays stuff, which I appreciate. As a as a sm side note, this movie also had me thinking that Chris Pine would have made a great Nathan Drake in the Uncharted series. He really he does have that kind of Indiana Jonesy yes vibe yeah. of adventurer, which not a lot of actors nowadays can pull off. That's true. I'm not sure about you, but I was feeling less. I I, I wasn't feeling as good about Michelle Rodriguez, her character. Like I I liked the character on the page or as it was written, but I felt like her performance 
was not bad, but, you know, serviceable, but not... I think a better actress could have elevated that into something more than it was. Yeah, I didn't really connect with that character emotionally at all. To be fair, I, I think the only... Besides Chris Pine, I felt like her character and uh, and Sophia Lillis's as Doric were also a little underdeveloped. Like... Mm. May, a little bit of writing might have given her more to work, Michelle, more to work with there where we don't she, like they lean really heavily into Chris Pines or into Edgen's backstory. And he's lost. So this the setup that we kind of skimmed over is his wife gets killed by these evil red wizards. I think they're called, mm -hmm. but they had a child together. That's the daughter that's kidnapped. But Michelle Rodriguez Holga and Edgen have kind of raised this child together yeah. and they lean really heavily into kind of giving us some of the emotional backstory from for Edgen but they don't really do that for Olga so if they had like given us a little bit more material there where they sh showed kind of her emotional connection yeah. to uh, Kira it might have felt a little bit more but I kind of agree like for whatever reason that performance felt a little more yeah. flat to me I feel like she is has become kind of she's a great character actress in this the type of character that she usually plays like the sort of right. tough woman who can kick ass you know uh, she does it very well in the Fast and Furious series she I think she did well in Avatar the first one where she plays this grunt pilot but here her character reminded me a little bit of Drax played by Dave Bautista in the Guardians of the Galaxy, who also has this kind of deadpan quality to it, the, the way he, he, to the way his humor works or the way his personality is. But I feel like right. whereas, you know, someone like Dave Bautista was really good at elevating that into something more and adding layers to that beyond what was on the page, you know, adding the drama and the heart uh, to it. I felt like Michelle Rodriguez didn't wasn't quite able to pull that off in a way that really made this role into something more than it was on the page. And I feel like I'm just trying to think of a different actress who would have been a better fit. I'm not sure if I can think of anyone from the top of my head. Maybe like a Mary Elizabeth Winstead type-ish actress. Uh, although I'm not sure how much the, the, the racial element is intrinsic to the character. Anyways, I agree that it's also in part because she didn't have right. that much material to work with yeah. Uh, because of all the characters in the main group, I think the only ones that truly have a character arc are Atkin, obviously, who has to go from being this selfish or more self-centered person into one who is more truly selfless. Yeah. You know, he wants to bring his wife back, but in the end he realizes actually, or he, he wants to bring his wife back, but he presents it as... I want to bring the mother back of my child. And then later yeah. he realizes that actually the real mother was Olga all along. So there's a nice little character arc there. And the other one, the only other one I think is Simon, the wizard who goes from feeling very insecure and who basically lacks courage to believe in himself. And he grows into this more confident, self-assured wizard. But yeah, that I think are the two most distinctive or maybe even the only real character arcs 
because you know for Dorek she's more of a background character she doesn't get a lot of uh, character moments in this yeah uh, aside from being the druid that can transform into these different animals which leads to some fun sequences but you know yeah. as for character work there's not a lot that goes on there I think and the same goes for Holgai. I was trying to remember if there was any progression. There's an arc she goes from. So she she has a tiny little man husband played by spoilers. Uh, oh, yeah. For, for, for maybe the best like reveal of the movie. A very miniature. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> My mind is. Bradley Cooper. Uh, Bradley Cooper. Yes. So yeah. we have a very tiny Bradley Cooper who is Olga's ex-husband. And then yeah. at the end of the movie, she meets another tiny man. Yeah, she lets so she lets go of her ex husband. Is is that the right? And moves on. <laughs> she meets a, a new, another guy in her type. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm joking because I think that's like that's the most we get in terms of an actual arc or progression for her. Yeah, and. And that just stands so far apart from the thing that you mentioned where she's also experiencing the loss of right. uh, Kira, the daughter character that I almost forgot. Like, I, I liked that revelation at the end where you get this little montage about her connecting with Kira and her being the real mom, essentially. But yeah. it also came kind of came out of the blue because it didn't feel like that was her struggle throughout yeah. this movie. So that was something I was kind of feeling like a bit, little bit let down by it almost felt like they withheld that in order to have it kind of be a twist as a part of edgin's like, yeah. character arc at the end yeah I, I wish there would have been more than sort of sadness brewing beneath yeah. her character that we would then go that we can yeah. then go look back to and say oh that's why she was really like this but yeah. that doesn't really help i, I feel like that could have been probably the biggest missed opportunity for more emotional investment with minimal changes to the story as it is sure yeah yeah i agree but anyways then we uh, we talked about simon already the i think he was fine they also briefly meet with zenk who i thought was kind of strange he is the converted bad wizard yes. who now uses who's now a good wizard He's strange for, I think, a very specific reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is that it, it, he kind of represents a certain type of non-player character in a role-playing game. So for people who maybe haven't played Dungeons & Dragons or other oh. role-playing games, you have like a group of people who are the players and, mm. and each of them plays a character uh, like in the party. So if you're playing this movie as a role-playing game, Edgin, Olga... Uh, Simon and Doric would all be played by a player and then you have your dungeon master who kind of runs the game you know make sure makes sure everybody is following the rules but then also plays all the other characters what mm -hmm. that results in is sometimes you know the character that the dungeon master comes up with is like really great and fun sometimes they're like slightly more annoying sometimes they have these weird quirks uh, but you often run into this situation where like the dungeon master kind of invents this character that maybe has like overly flowery language or <laughs> overly two dimensional like characteristics because you have to come up with a lot of these characters on the fly. And so his character was was kind of flat and two dimensional, had some weird quirks, but mm -hmm. it's very much in a way that is kind of a meta joke about 
Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and playing role playing games like that. So I don't know if that like came through if you're not familiar with those things, but uh, like even the joke about the way he's walking at the end is kind of like a... yeah, that was kind of odd, but I I like yeah. that in a sort of funny way. The the thing that kind of bugged me about it that he was presented as this character who doesn't understand irony or sayings and I felt like because I already had connected in my mind Holga to be the sort of Dave Bautista Drax character I felt like wait are they going to introduce like another, another type of yeah. who's also socially a little bit weird or out of touch with the way people communicate and so that that's when I why I thought like oh that's a little bit too much of the same thing or Right, it felt right. a little bit unnecessary or out of place or I don't, I don't know. Also, just his place in the story feels kind of strange. He kind of comes in at some point and then he exit, exits also at another. And right. he's just briefly there for a little bit of it. But I don't know. It feels like he gets like too much attention for a character this small. Or, or he's just kind of stuck in this place between not being small enough to be truly this secondary character but also not being big enough to really be part of the the main group so right right it just kind of falls weirdly in between the character spaces uh, or something like that i can definitely see how he would come across that way i think like i think the the sort of meta joke of what his character represents worked well enough for me that i wasn't mm -hmm. really bothered by those things because i kind of found them funny on in their own context because that happens too in like a role-playing game where you know this a non-player character will just like show up and then you like and then the dm will just eventually decide like okay we're done with them and they'll you know they'll just leave or die or you know something will happen mm -hmm. um or sometimes they stick around forever uh but or sometimes one time i was playing a role-playing game and the dm created a really elaborate a really elaborate NPC and I my character who was a Russian anarchist got into a little bit of a sticky situation and killed the NPC and the DM was really uh sad uh -oh. <laughs> because I <laughs> because I killed him and then I felt really bad and then we just had to regret it for the rest of the game <laughs> <laughs> but anyway yeah that does make his character make more sense for me that's one of the things though i guess that's the double-edged sword of like the way they did this this adaptation was they were fairly soft with a lot of those sort of references like they don't make it super obvious like okay now we're this is like an in-joke in the game mm -hmm. and i'm sure even for me like i i'm sure there's a bunch of jokes in here about specific rules or lore that i didn't get because i'm not super fam i'm not familiar with like the actual dungeons and dragons rules so I don't know. It's like you have to strike that balance between making it fun for the people who don't know, but yeah. also having these in-jokes. And I feel like they did that fairly well, but there's, you know, obviously still places where it's going to be yeah. a little uh, a little wonky. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think that takes care of the main characters. Um, how about the... What did you think of the villains? We have you, uh, Grant, in the main-ish villain or maybe you know Sofina yeah. I guess Sofina is the the real big villain but then right Forge uh, played by Hugh Grant he's the more of the the more personal immediate villain that the uh, most of the story revolves around any yeah. general thoughts on 
how they played into the story and i felt like splitting it in two like that i I kind of understand how it happened or why it was necessary because you have this like false villain set up and then behind him is we eventually find out she's a red wizard and that connects back to like how uh how edgin's wife was killed so it kind of matters for plot reasons but i felt like her vil like i didn't feel that compelled by her as a villain like she felt sort of one-dimensional i I don't know like i feel like if you had collapsed it down to one you might have had a little bit more time to develop the motivation of a single villain and then make them a little bit more compelling Mm -hmm. um i thought forge was was fun i kind of liked him as a villain but then he yeah he kind of gets undercut as being like i don't know Yeah, I don't know. I didn't have any particularly strong feelings um, besides the fact that I think Sophia was... They both felt a little underbaked maybe because the Mm -hmm. villainy was being split between them. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way largely. I think I did like the interplay between their different forms of villainy, especially in the way that it led to interesting changes in the plot especially early on there was this moment where i there's one thing that a few things that always get me a little bit disengaged in a movie and one of them is whenever characters have a goal but to get to the goal they first have to go on some kind of a miniature fetch quest to get something to get to the other thing which they had in this movie where they had to get the helmet to break the spell that's on the vault that, that that which is the thing that they really wanted to get to I think the way villains and also their bad uh, or or like their evil master plans developed was interesting enough that that didn't bother me so much that it kept the plot going in enough different directions and quick enough, like at a quick enough pace for me some yeah. to keep that level of engagement at least alive. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't like fully into it. Like it's not Top Gun Maverick where I was like, fully invested in the mission (laughs) and completely engaged but it was like good enough you know where i cared up until the very end whereas usually with a marvel movie i'm kind of checked out by the third act and where you know you know like okay now now the bad guy's coming now they're going to do the fist fight or now the sky beam is coming or something like that and there was some disappointment where this movie also had a almost literal sky beam at the end. <laughs> yes, where, yes. Because, because of the dual <laughs> villains, you also get, get this fourth act syndrome, I, I think yeah. it's called, where you kind of have the basic story resolved, but then in this case where they escape out of the arena, you know, at some point the crew gets captured and then you have this little Austin Powers moment where the villain doesn't kill them immediately, but tr- throws them in the arena to watch them die instead. They escape from the arena. They realize that Forge's big bad plan wasn't actually to be the master of that territory or uh, yeah. I forget what his title was, but the Lord of the the Neverwinter, but he was just gonna rob all the rich citizens and then make off or take off in a boat while Sophina does her bad, big yeah. bad plan. Um, but then they, so the main guys, they escape from the arena they foil the plan of forge and then it seems you know seems like the main issue or the main conflict is resolved because that's when 
Uh, Forge is defeated, Crespine has his daughter back, and they can sail off into the distance with all the riches, you know. But then, of course, because there's this secondary villain, they have to go back for more story to do. And that that's, for me, something that's very difficult to pull off because there's a natural end point where you kind of feel, okay, I'm now done with this story, and now I have to kind of psych myself up to get invested in another 15 minutes in of this or yeah. in, in another story element. But I liked... At first I was like, oh god, it's going to be another one of those Skybeam, big bad right. villain that you don't really care <laughs> yeah. about with magic powers. And um, But what I liked is that it, it went relatively quickly. They do another portal yes. trick. It wasn't like this prolonged, exhausting sequence. They kind of rushed through it in a way that I thought was actually a good choice uh, yeah. and that really kept the pacing up and uh, kept me interested. It might have been better to not do it at all, but if you're yeah. going to do it, the the better. If you're going to do it, the lesser sin is to just get it over with quickly. Mm. <laughs> I, I guess it made sense uh, because without Sophina there, Forge's twist also wouldn't have made sense. That then right. it would have made more sense for him to just stay in his position. So I guess I can kind yeah. of see why the twist was necessary, and I can see why the twist was interesting because it has you. There's this moment where then uh, Doric gets into the vault and then they find a way into the vaults separately where Doric finds their way in through the original plan, which was the right. uh, the portal. And then, oh, actually, Simon well, no, is no, the no, original that was plan. plan. That, was, that was plan C. Yeah. Or, or no, <laughs> plans A and B had stink, stink on them. <laughs> <had to> come. <laughs> so yeah, plan C and D both worked and... That to me, that they didn't end up in the same place, that to me was an interesting twist that I genuinely didn't see yes. coming and that had me yeah. curious again to see, okay, now this is an interesting complication. Where do we go from here? But of yeah. course, all that ties into the necessity of having uh, Sophina be who she was and who, uh, having her uh, have right. the plan that she has. Yeah. So fine, you know, I'll, I'll accept that it was a necessity to tell the rest of the story. And in that sense, I liked the way it kind of resolved itself pretty quickly. And then the fight was also, I think, uh, I'm trying to remember how exactly that went down. I think they just knocked her out of the sky with something, if I remember correctly. And then they fought on the ground for a little fight. bit. Yeah. And it kind of, it's kind of the culmination of like, oh, they've, they've, all gained you know they're all better at what they do now to some extent mm -hmm. so they kind of especially especially simon you know has more advanced wizard powers at this point so mm -hmm. they're more capable in the fight it definitely wasn't that bad i've seen much worse now the villains are going to smash each other at the end and just kind of like collide and uh, I can also see why this was a necessary final set piece to really complete uh, Chris Pine's character arc because before that he would just get what he wants and now yes. with this final set piece he gets what he needs which is generally right. the the thing that you that the character arc is made of you know there's a they go on a journey to get what they think they want, but in the end, they get what they actually needed, which is usually something else. Uh, and then what they need is the thing that deconstructs their initial want and gives them a deeper insight into themselves and therefore, you know, what they needed as a character. 
that's also yeah. something that they could have done maybe a little bit better where Holka kind of just seems to be hurt out of the blue like it seems to be all over and then yeah. oh wait she's she now has the dagger or something yeah. uh, I think it was a dagger in inside of her that is gonna lead to something bad if they don't use that yeah resurrection stone that they actually that he actually saved for his wife it did kind of feel to me like this this fourth act kind of segment may have actually initially been longer but then they kind of mm -hmm. cut it down for time which was probably the right choice yep. you know once they were done um given the pacing and i think like dragging it on wouldn't have been great but yeah it does kind of feel it feels more like there was more material there that they had to like shrink down the, instead of like it was just written this way from the beginning that's kind of the vibe i got hmm. yeah because it all it all works but there's just like a few a few things where yeah like would have been nice maybe to see some of the moments happen that that kind of get get glossed over yeah i think it was a good choice at the end also because uh i think forge was very much the more charismatic villain and so yes. when he's out of the picture that's just the the bland evil wizard and the even blander sort of Voldemort that she was gonna yeah, summon. Yeah. <laughs> I guess right. they realized, and rightfully so, that that's not the emotional connection there or the emotional engagement there isn't as strong as that yeah. was in the conflict with Forge. So we're gonna kind of rush through this, you know, highlights only and then get out while yeah. the getting is good. And they do, that does allow them to spend time kind of in the the emotional or the more emotional scene of Olga dying and then them reviving her and mm -hmm. like uh Edgin kind of having to make this decision or sacrifice and completing his arc a little bit they spend they spend plenty of time there actually letting that kind of take up space which is which is good as well yeah yeah because even though uh as we talked about earlier the whole setup for that last switcheroo i guess didn't really work for me i think the moment itself i did find that effective and i did feel moved by it it's also one of those things where you kind of where, where they set up a story like oh i'm chris pine my wife is dead i'm gonna resurrect her but then you already know the wife character is played by this lesser known actress <laughs> right, right. and and she doesn't come back into the story yeah. at all then you probably can guess like oh she is not going to be the one who ends up being resurrected at the end it's, it's usually going to be a usually when you have a, a setup like that you know obviously there's not literal setups or uh, literal examples of situations that are exactly the same but usually the story does end up being ending up being about one of the characters that you as right. the audience travel along with instead of the character that's just set up at the beginning as some memory for the character but not someone who you as the audience or that you as the audience yeah. actually get to know but still even though i was already expecting the stone or the, the resurrection stone or tablet uh whatever it was uh, wasn't gonna work out in the way that they originally planned it. Uh, for some reason, this one still got me off guard a little bit, where I didn't expect it that it was gonna be Holga or, or, or one of the crew who ended up being the ones who would be revived. Yeah, they 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 managed to pull that off fairly well. It's also the kind of moral dilemma that a brilliant DM would would come up with to 
to mm -hmm. hand to a, a character or a player. And yep. that's the beauty of playing a game like this. If you land in this situation and being faced with this kind of decision and then getting to not just watch a character have an arc, but but get to participate in that arc yourself and get to make the decision of being like, oh, I know my whole character has been motivated this whole time by trying to go back and revive my dead wife, but I'm going to, I'm faced with this choice here and I'm going to make the choice to do this thing. Um, and kind of getting to participate in that, that arc is a lot of fun. Yeah. They also add in the, oh, they, they also add an interesting minor complication, I guess, earlier in the story where you have Chris Pine talking with, Zenk and he talks about his wife or or no he talks about there being multiple lives or this this that our life is just one in a realm of many forms of living or of forms of being I'm not sure exactly how he phrased it but he seems to suggest that there are either afterlives or other forms of reincarnation and that if he would to resurrect his wife after all this time he would be kind of robbing her out of a new Life, form yes. of existence that she has now yeah. been in for a while. And I thought, I'm not sure about how the lore or what the lore says about other spiritual realms in this world. I'm guessing there are some, but it's not really brought up again. But that's that's also one line that had me thinking, oh yeah, it's, not, it's probably not going to play out in the way that uh, it's set up in the beginning. But I did like that they at least added some additional conflict along the way, that it wasn't just going to be reviving the dead is something that you can just do with the stone, but there's also going to be some sort of cost to it, to the person right. who is going to be revived, that you do not know if you're in in this realm still, so to say. Yeah. And there's also a little bit of, I'm not sure if this, uh, how closely this connects to that, but there's this fun little graveyard scene where they ask questions to the death right, right. um yeah i'm not saying that that's that that relates to chris pine's death that wife in any meaningful way but it does show you know there's you know i'm not sure if i, if I have a point to make here but it does show there's there's some kind of discomfort with bringing back the dead and right, leaving right. them in or bringing them back into a realm from from a place from whatever place they came from and yeah it, it's not something that's gonna be you can just gonna tap the stone into the right direction and then the wife's gonna be back and everything's gonna be fine you know there's gonna yeah. be weirdness there or yeah. potentially some morally gray um implications yeah there's a lot of great elements of playing and crafting uh, like a role-playing game or like kind of guidelines for being a good dungeon master um, that are actually kind of coincident, I guess, not coincidentally, good, uh, like good approaches to just storytelling in general. And one of those, one of those things, like if you're, if you're being a DM that they, you know, one of the pieces of advice is to give everything kind of like a cost or a downside or, mm -hmm. or try to give everything like complicate everything a little bit so that it's not just this is an easy choice and it's there's no like we know it's going to work. It's fine. It's a pure good. You, you know, the more you can give 
make everything a little bit of a choice or have some kind of element of sacrifice or not know exactly what the side effects might be, you know, the more fun it's going to be for the players to play. But that's just also like a good uh, way to approach storytelling in general. Like if you're a writer, the more you can make something, the more you can make the characters have to wrestle with like, is this thing that I want to do a pure good or is there some kind of side effect or cost or, you know, sacrifice that I have to make in order for that to come about? Mm -hmm. I think the more interesting um, the more the more interesting the story is usually uh, to to watch or read or or whatever. As I said in the beginning, it's it's a nice movie that you'll that will pleasantly surprise you if you're back in 1995 browsing TV channels looking for something to watch and then kind of stumbling onto this without knowing anything about it. I think that's the scenario in which this movie will surprise you the most in a pleasant way um but even updated to today's standards you know, yeah i think it's just if you're just looking for a relatively fun light-hearted non-frustrating adventure movie <laughs> yes, yeah. that will not have you sighing or rolling your eyes too much um especially if you're a kind of growing fatigued of the marvelization of movies then I think this one is pretty decent. Um, go see it with some friends and uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, and then uh, go back to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I, I would definitely recommend it to anybody who's either a fan of D&D &D or just, hmm. you know, a fan of playing RPGs in general. I think if I didn't have that context, I yep. I don't know how much I would have enjoyed this. If you're like me, where this style of movie, you know, maybe is fatiguing you a little bit, but you're into this particular IP, I think that'll probably like buoy mm. it a little bit. Um, this is one where I actually coming out of it, I was like, I kind of actually think I might go see another one of these if they make it. I think I just hope if I could say one thing to the writers and the <laughs> executives and the producers of of these kinds of films it's that you think these big stakes huge like escalating everything into big stakes is making it more interesting and less boring and more exciting for your audience it's not if you go if you keep the stakes small mm -hmm. it will actually counterintuitively be more interesting and better yeah. And more engaging dramatically and emotionally and all of those things. I, I firmly believe that. There's so many times where these movies, they start off on such a good foot. And I think a lot of times that's because things start out fairly small and contained at the beginning. This is, applies especially to fights. Like yep. a lot of times in these movies, the fights at the, towards the like first half of the movie are much more interesting because they're smaller, they're more contained, the stakes are smaller. And the audience can understand what's going on. It's it's visually interesting. It's a little bit quirky and unexpected sometimes. And and in those battles, often we don't know that like it has to end a certain way. Um, so that helps a little bit too. But but it doesn't have to escalate into this like world ending, save the world moment mm -hmm. for it to be good. Uh so stop doing that i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i get i get it i know why it happens it's the trope at this point it's 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 just the way it goes but like 
that was exciting the first like three times we saw it and now it's it's been unexciting for like six movies so Mm -hmm. calm down lower (laughs) the stakes and paradoxically it'll get better uh so please i beg of you (laughs) that's ironically because i think people are starting to like even the mcu films have started to perform a little bit worse like this style of film kind of i feel like had its heyday and is is declining a little bit um and so people are starting to get a little worried almost um Mm -hmm. but i think paradoxically the thing that would make a lot of these movies better is just like scaling them back just a little just enough and then giving more care and attention to the smaller scale to to give everything kind of impact and and conflict and emotional weight and those kinds of things uh Anyway, rant over. None of those people are listening to this podcast, so <laughs> but, just in case. Just in case. <laughs> Lastly, do you do you have any other movies that are that you would recommend as being the most? If you, if you enjoy Dungeon this Dungeons and Dragons, then what other movie would you? What would you watch next? Hmm, that's a good that's a good question. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like going back. Going back to some of the old classics that might exist in this mm. same vibe, you kind of talked about that a little bit at the beginning. Um, but it did make me, you know, it did make me a little bit nostalgic for just the kind of like fun fantasy world. Stuff like uh, The Princess Bride is a great example too. Oh, just yeah. like yeah. goofy. It's not taking itself very seriously. It's very lighthearted, but it's still playing with familiar like sort of fantasy tropes and mechanics that that we mm-hmm. know and expect um so maybe that would be that would be my recommendation uh if you liked this and you haven't seen for some reason you haven't seen the princess bride that that mm-hmm. seems like a movie you should definitely watch yeah i was thinking of maybe not as close i think as the princess bride but maybe a night still yeah at least yeah. in my memory it was a really fun movie that also plays around a little bit with the tropes of the medieval movie or story. Yes. Uh, even though I, I I don't think that was a fantasy story, just a medieval setting. Right. Um, maybe something like The Brothers Grimm, uh, both starring Heath Ledger for some reason. Uh, I haven't seen that one in years though, so I'm not I'm not sure exactly how good of a movie that was, but. It just feels like early 2000s era fantasy-ish yeah. uh, historical settings are what this movie for me related most closely to. Good wreck. All right. So uh, that's it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, you can already listen to next week's episode on Nebula, as well as catching all of our bonus episodes on there. Uh, most recently, we've talked about Fight Club, we talked about Babylon, we've talked about Avatar, The Way of Water, a bunch of other great films, 1917 Drive, there's one every, a new one every month. You can catch those by signing up for Nebula and listening to the Nebula feed, which you can listen to on your normal podcast player, by the way. If you, if you put the, the private feed that you get from Nebula into your podcast player, you can listen just how you normally do. Uh, go to nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning or uh, use the link in the description below you can also check out our our patreon discord there the link is in the description for how you 
get access to that. We have discussions about what we're watching. You can find out uh, what we are doing as an episode weeks ahead so that you can watch the films if you want with us. Um, all that great stuff. So we, we appreciate your support and you listening and uh, check those things out if you want more. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week.